Jesus uh, once told a parable uh, about a owner of a vineyard. Uh, he told many parables about an owner of a vineyard, but in one in particular, he spoke of this owner who was needing workers in his vineyard. So he went out early in the morning to the marketplace uh, to see if there were any people uh, hanging around wanting work. And sure enough, he found some men who were desirous of work. And so very early in the morning, he said, will you come and work in my vineyards and I'll give you one denarius, which was a day's wage in Jesus' time. And the men agreed that they would work all day for one denarius, a day's wage. Well, as the day ticks on, the uh, owner realized he needed more workers. So around midday, he went back into the marketplace and sure enough, he found some more workers uh, or potential workers hanging around doing nothing. And he uh, said to them, will you work in my vineyard? And they agreed and he said, I will give you what is right. A few hours later, he needed some more workers. So he went back to the marketplace. It was around three o'clock in the afternoon. And he found some more and he told them, work in my vineyard and I will give you what is right. Then at the fifth hour, the last hour nearly of the day before they clocked off at six o'clock, he went again into the marketplace and he gathered some more workers at literally the 11th hour. That's where we get the expression, the 11th hour. They counted their time from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. And at the 11th hour, he chose some more workers standing idle in the marketplace and said, work for me and I'll give you what is right. And then when 6 o'clock struck and all the workers together came to the master to receive their wages, he gave one denarius, to the workers who had worked all day through the sun and through the heat. But then to the workers who came at 12 o'clock, he gave one denarius. To the workers who came at 3 o'clock, he gave one denarius. And even to the workers who came at 5 o'clock, who had only done an hour's work, he gave them one denarius. As you can imagine, the first workers were incensed and they were enraged. And they said, we've worked through the heat of the day, and yet you've given these workers who came at the last minute exactly the same as what you gave us. And the master responded, and he said, why are you angry? I gave you what we agreed. At the beginning of the day, you agreed to work for one denarius. I've simply chosen to be generous with those who came later. Then he said an interesting phrase. He said, is your eye evil because my eye is good? Is my eye evil because your, is your eye evil because my eye is good? Now you might wonder, why have I told you that parable? Well, that phrase, that expression, an evil eye, is found in the proverb that we're looking at this morning, um, depending on what version you use, you will see it more clearly. But in the version I have here, uh, it says in verse uh, 6, it says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. 
For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten up, you will vomit and waste your pleasant words. And that word in verse 6, which is translated a miser, is literally someone who has an evil eye. Someone who has an evil eye. So the big question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to have an evil eye as Jesus described it in that parable and as this proverb describes it in this verse? What I want to do uh, just this morning is, first of all, look at the meaning of this proverb. Then we're going to look at the man described in the proverb. And then we're going to close with the message of the proverb to us living today. Uh, So let's look at the first thing, the meaning of this proverb. What is meant by an evil eye? Now, an evil eye is something which is quite easy to recognize when you see it, uh, but it's very, very hard to describe exactly what it is. Uh, The New King James translation, miser, gives a sense of it. Uh, When we think of a miser, we think of someone who loves money too much. They have an obsession with money and they don't like spending any of it because they want to hoard it for themselves. In fact, the first mention of an evil eye in the Bible is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And in ancient Israel, uh, God instructed them that every seven years they were to release uh, their slaves and to cancel any debts that were against them. The people in Israel, that was the law. God said, after seven years, I want you to release your slaves and I want you to cancel any debts that you have and write them off and start afresh. And this was supposed to be a time of joy and generosity and grace. That's what was being designed in that law. But I'm sure you can imagine it wasn't like that in practice for everyone. And so God warned them And God said, be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. Because you can imagine some people who had their slaves and had uh, debts against them, would be very reluctant to cancel those debts and to release their slaves. I'm going to be out of pocket. I'm not going to have my workers. And they would feel uh, ill will towards God and towards the poor because of this command. And that word translated ill will, again, is that phrase, have an evil eye. That is what an evil eye is. It is a sick heart. It's a heart which weeps when we should rejoice and a heart which rejoices when we should weep. Let me give a few examples. Imagine you're a funeral director uh, in a funeral home and you hear news that there's a plague and your heart sings because you think, I'm going to get more business. That is an evil eye. It's rejoicing in something that you should be weeping over. 
Or think of a journalist whose heart leaps when they hear news of some catastrophic terrorist attack which is near them. And they think, this is my big scoop. I'm on the spot. I'll be, get, uh, I'll be the first one on the scene. That is an evil eye. Something which should cause horror is causing joy in that person's eyes. Or imagine a son who hears the news that their father has died. And they hear the news with a poker face, but inside they're dancing a jig because of the inheritance they're about to receive. That is what is meant by an evil eye. It is loving something, rejoicing in something that should not be rejoiced in. There's another example from scripture of someone who had an evil eye. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Uh, But don't think of the prodigal son, think of the elder son. Do you remember how when the prodigal son, who had gone away and wasted his father's goods, goods, but then had returned, and the father in his joy held a great party, held a great feast for his son who had come back, but the elder brother, who had stayed and had served his father, he stayed outside. He wouldn't join the feast. He sulked. That older brother had an evil eye. Because when his brother returned, he should have been overjoyed. He should have been happy. Instead, he was miserable. Because his son was being, as he saw it, rewarded. While he, who had stayed home, didn't get a party. An evil eye is that sick heart which doesn't see things clearly. Does not rejoice when rejoicing is called for. So let me ask you first of all this morning, uh, do you have an evil eye? Uh, Do you have a sick heart? Uh, Do you rejoice at things you should weep over? Uh, Or do you weep or get angry at things which should cause you to rejoice? Uh, Jesus' most prominent enemy enemies in the Gospels were the Pharisees, and they're probably better than anyone illustrate what it means to have an evil eye. Uh, They were more concerned that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day than that he healed at all. And when they saw Jesus giving life and giving health to people who had been in bondage before that, they should have rejoiced, but instead, because of their evil eye, They rebuked him because he had healed on the Sabbath day. They were more incensed that Jesus did not hold to their traditions than they were glad at the good and the joy that he brought. And if we're not careful, that same attitude can creep into our own hearts. And we stop seeing as God sees And we stop rejoicing in the things that God is truly concerned about. And we rejoice in things which God, in comparison, doesn't care about at all. Do you have an evil eye? Do you see as God sees? Or has your eye become dimmed? Has it become twisted? So that's the meaning of this problem, at least the first part of it. An evil eye is when someone sees what is good, but sees it 
as evil. Or they see something which is not good and they make it a greater good than it really is. They don't see things as they should morally. So let's now look at the second part of this sermon now and look at what this proverb is saying and who is the man that's described in this proverb who we're warned about. Because this proverb is a warning and it's warning us about a certain sort of person. So let's now look at the man in the proverb. Uh, Let's read again what it says. It says, do not eat the bread of a miser or of a man who has an evil eye, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. This proverb is describing someone who is generous on the outside. They say, eat, drink. But on the inside, they're resentful at every mouthful you take. Their outside is not matching what is going on on the inside. They should be rejoicing that they are being generous and that you are benefiting from their generosity, but instead they are resentful because they have an evil eye. They don't value what they should be valuing. It reminds me of a friend I had uh, who, uh, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. Uh, in his house, he had two sets of glasses. Uh, he had a big set of glasses and a small set of glasses. And whenever he had guests who he didn't want to stay long, he used the small set of glasses. And when he had friends he did like, he used the big set of glasses. Now, to be, f- to be fair to my friend, that's not exactly what this proverb is talking about. Uh, this proverb isn't talking about uninvited guests who come into our house and we don't really want them to come, we didn't invite them to come, but they've come anyway. Uh, That's not really what this proverb is talking about. This proverb is talking about someone who invites guests, who welcomes them into your home, who welcomes them into their home, but really they don't want them there. They've got some other motivation for inviting them. They've invited them, It says, eat. They say, eat and drink, but they do so for the wrong reason. As the proverb says, his heart is not with you. Uh, Perhaps I'm sure we've all experienced, perhaps people in situations like that, where someone is inviting us somewhere or giving us something, but it's not because they love us. It's not because they want to benefit us. It's because they want to gain some benefit themselves. Uh, Perhaps they're trying to butter you up uh, to get something out of you. Uh, How many business meals are um, done on that premise? Give them a big meal and they'll be more likely to accept the offer at the end. Uh, Perhaps it's someone who is just jealous of someone else who uh, they see who shows wonderful hospitality. And because they're jealous of that other person, they say, well, I'm going to do the same thing. But it's not because they're overflowing in generosity or in love. It's because they're envious of another person. And their hospitality springs out of a heart of envy. Uh, Perhaps they feel they ought to for some other reason. Perhaps they feel a deep-set duty. But even as they give, 
their heart is resentful at everything they have to give. Uh, Jesus said, didn't he, when you give, let your right hand not know what your le- or left hand not know what your right hand is doing. But these people are painfully conscious of exactly what their right hand is doing at every second. That is the kind of person that this proverb is warning about because their hospitality is not springing from a heart of friendship. It's springing from some other motivation. And as the proverb very famously says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that applies to women just as much. What we do on the outside is not the most important thing. What God sees is the reason we are doing it in our heart. And the reason we do something can poison what we do on the outside. We may look generous and yet actually on the inside be the opposite. So that's the man. That's the person described in this proverb. So lastly, what is the message to us? What is the application to us? How do we take this proverb and apply it in our everyday lives? Well, put simply, this proverb teaches that we need to be wary of the motivations of other people, especially those who extend love to us. We need to be wary about the motivations of others because as someone thinks in their heart, so they are. Don't be blinded by the outward appearance. Beware, people's motives make a difference. Uh, One Bible handbook put it this way. Uh, They said, a dinner invitation from a miser is just as well turned down. Your efforts at friendship will be wasted on him or her. Because you see, hospitality, inviting someone to a meal, uh, extending friendship in other ways, uh, that's not just about being fed. It's not just about the, the practical benefit from it. When we extend hospitality to someone, we're showing friendship. We're wanting to build friendship. We should be wanting to build a friendship with that person. But if you have some other motivation, if you've got some selfish motivation for extending hospitality to someone, then you're not going to build friendship. You're actually going to do, in the end, the opposite. It's not going to do what it is supposed to do. That twisted attitude will poison the meal, as it were. It will suck it of its benefit. That's what it means when it says in verse 8, the morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. In other words, you won't build friendship with that person. You won't grow closer to that person. Uh, Your love for each other will not increase. In fact, the opposite will happen. And more than likely, some catastrophe will happen down the line. Um, This isn't a perfect illustration, but when I was in the Caribbean a few uh, months back, um, I found that when you go onto the wherever island with Barbados or um, Haiti or wherever, 
before too long, you will find people in the streets who are wanting to sell things to you. I'm sure many of us have had this experience. And they'll come to you and they'll want to be, as it were, your best friends. And they'll even like want to give things to you. And uh, one man in particular had a little kind of cup goblet thing, a wooden thing, and he, and he was uh, saying, what was my name? And he started engraving my name onto the cup. And you think, oh, how friendly, <laughs> how welcoming. Uh, and he says, I'll give this, I'll give this to you. But of course, what's going on in his heart? He wants me to buy more stuff from his stall. Uh, it's not a genuine offer of love and friendship, it's a means to get me to spend more and more. And it was incredibly difficult <laughs> to get away from that stall without spending some money. Now, that's not a perfect example of this proverb. Um, people have got to earn their money. But it teaches the lesson. Don't be deceived by outward appearance. Be wary of people who are seeking to get things from you and are not genuinely wanting genuine friendship. We need to be wary of such things. Uh, even Jesus had to uh, uh, deal with this in his earthly ministry. Do you remember the beginning of the book of John? Uh, it's a very interesting verse uh, in John chapter 2. And it says, many people believed on Jesus when they saw his miracles. Then it says this, it says, but Jesus did not commit himself or did not entrust himself to them. Interesting, isn't it? It says they believed on him, but he did not believe in them. And we're told why. It says, because he knew what was in man. These people, as it were, wanted to be his friends, but Jesus held them at arm's length because he could see the motivation in their heart. And if you go on throughout John's Gospel, and we will do, uh, God willing, over the next few weeks in the evening, uh, you'll see some examples of people who came to Jesus with the wrong motivation. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people, and crowds of people followed him after that. Why? Because they wanted bread. They thought, great, free food for the rest of our lives if we can just make friends with this man. But that's not why anyone should follow Christ. Yes, Christ can do wonderful things, but that's not chiefly what Christ offers. And Jesus held arm's length those who came to him with bad motivations. Another example, do you remember the younger brother this time in the parable of the prodigal son? Do you remember how he had lots of money and he went to a far country and when he had lots of money, what did he also have? Lots of friends. Because <laughs> all the friends wanted to be his friend because they could spend his money or he could spend their money, his money on them. But what happened when his money dried up? So did his friends. His friends disappeared. This brother would have done well to heed the words of this proverb, to be wary of another person's motivations. Don't try 
to build friendship with people who are simply trying to use you. We need to be aware of people's motivation. But there is just one final uh, point to make before we finish this morning. Uh, Because you might be wondering, what if I am the one with the evil eye? We've been talking about the danger of people who have an evil eye and how we should be wary of people who rejoice in bad things and uh, weep over good things. But what about if we see in our hearts that's really what we are like? Because it could be, couldn't it? Perhaps you're sitting here this morning or watching online and you think, well, that can be me sometimes. Sometimes I'm not truly interested in other people. I'm just trying to get out of them what I can get out of them. My motivations for doing good are not pure. Uh, My motivations are selfish. I want people to look at me and think how good I am. Perhaps you're feeling that in your heart right now. Well, if you are, be encouraged. It's rare to realize that. Uh, Often we're blind to our own motivations and our own sickness of heart. So if you are feeling that, that's a good place to be. Uh, Not because it's good to feel that way, but it's better if you're sick to know you're sick than to be sick and not know you're sick. Make sense? Uh, If you have got an illness, a serious illness, you want to know about it rather than just being blissfully ignorant and coasting through life. But secondly, you can be encouraged because there is hope. There is hope for people with sick hearts because Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the great doctor and he specializes in sick hearts. He specializes in people who have an evil eye. Do you remember that phrase uh, which the master said in the parable I mentioned right at the beginning? He said, is my eye Got it wrong last time. Is your eye evil because mine is good? In other words, he's saying, the reason that you can't rejoice in my generosity isn't because I'm generous, it's because you're not. You're stingy. You have the evil eye. It's not my fault that you feel this way. I have a good eye. I am generous. And that's where the encouragement is. However sick we might be, God is not. And God is abundantly generous. He was generous to those who came at the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. He was even, he wasn't uh, unjust with those who came at the beginning. God has an abundance to give to us. And if you feel sick this morning... If you feel your sinfulness, if you feel your bad motivations, be encouraged. You can run to God. You can run to Christ, and he is far more generous than you are. He is able to show you grace. You don't deserve it. Look at your heart, and you will find all sorts of evil 
It will be a cesspool in there if you look hard enough. But God welcomes people who come to him confessing their sin because he has a good eye. He is generous. Don't be afraid to run to Christ with your sickness. And you'll be amazed. He can make you clean. He can wash you of your sin, forgive you right now, this instant, and then change you and make you into the kind of person he wants you to be. Instead of being a stingy, miserly, grasping person, into a joyful, loving, generous person. That's what Christ can do, because his eye is good. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, number 690. 690. And it's a hymn which really puts into words that desire to have a clean, pure heart, a good eye. Number 690.04, a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels the blood, thy blood so freely shed for me. So let's stand as soon as we hear the music uh, as we sing 690. <coughs>